is no other Bible translation like the one I'm holding here in my hand that is my dearest companion to all of my Bible study than this one. This is by Wiest. Wiest's New Testament, an expanded translation. Now, it is only the New Testament. You can't buy it in an Old Testament. It's only the New Testament. Kenneth Hagin said of this translation that it was the most accurate word for word most literal, most faithful to the actual Greek language translation that he knew of personally. So for what that's worth, um, I am going to read from it. I don't know if we'll get anything else done this morning, but me just reading chapter 4 of Romans. And if we don't get to the rest of the message, then we'll, we'll do that later because the Holy Spirit has just really been I'm going to read from Weiss and so it will not be on the screen and if you're following along fine but just don't miss sometimes it's easier if your translation well your translation is going to be significantly different so sometimes it's easier just to listen I'm starting in verse 1 this is Romans chapter 4 What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, found with reference to the flesh? For assuming that Abraham was justified out of a source of works, he has ground for boasting, but not when facing God. For what does the scripture say? Now Abraham believed God, and it was put to his account, resulting in righteousness. Let me introduce this guy to you. Abraham was born to his father, Terah. He had three spouses during his life, Sarah, Hagar, and Keturah. He gave birth to eight different sons, Ishmael from Hagar, Isaac from Sarah, and six others from Keturah. The meaning of his name is father of multitude. The frequency in which his name is used is 307 times in the Bible. No one comes close. 27 different books of the Bible mention Abraham and talk about him, including the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of Moses in the Old Covenant, starting with Genesis. Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, all the major prophets. All four of the Gospels mention Abraham and talk about him. The book of Acts, which is the history of the New Testament church. And then all three of the Pauline epistles, which deal so beautifully with the subject of grace, talk about Abraham. Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. He was a patriarch. That was his occupation. He was called by God. Now, interestingly enough, he was converted from idol worship. He wasn't always a believer. Keep in mind that at the time that Abraham met God, he was an idol worshiper. Moses had not even appeared on the scene. There was no law. Okay? 
But he was called of God. At age 75, he met God and turned from idol worship. At age 85, God made a covenant with him and spoke a promise regarding he and his wife, Sarah. At 86, he gave birth to Ishmael, which was not God's best. It wasn't the son that God had promised to him and to Sarah in their old age, but it happened anyway. 86 years old and he fathers a son. Now, the promise that God would give him a son, that happened when he was 99. God showed back up, reiterated the promise, gave him a sign of circumcision to seal the covenant, And then at 100, he gave birth. He and Sarah had Isaac. Sarah died at 127. Abraham lived to be 175. Now, this guy was an idol worshiper. He didn't come uh, from religious tradition Similar to, you know, ours, he wasn't a Hebrew, and yet out of his loins was born the nation that would be the incarnation, the womb for the incarnation of Jesus. And of course, I'm speaking of Israel. Verse 4, now, for the one who works with a definite result in view, meaning his wages, The remuneration is not put down on his account as undeserved or a gratuitous gift, an undeserved gratuitous gift, but it constitutes a legally binding contract. So when you go to work and you work some 40 hours a week, plus or minus, you have entered into a contract to be remunerated for that. You have an expectation when you get up and leave the house and go to work that you are going to be rewarded for what you do. You have a right, you have a contract to get back, to be rewarded for what you do. I'll read it again. Now, for the one who works with a definite result in view, that is his wages, The remuneration is not put down on his account as an undeserved, gratuitous gift, but it constitutes a legally contracted debt. Verse 5, but in the case of the one who does not work with a definite result in view, but who places his trust upon the one who justifies the person who is destitute of reverential awe towards God, that would be Abraham, There is put to his account his faith resulting in righteousness. Abraham didn't know God. Abraham worshipped idols. He didn't know how to please God. He didn't know how to do all of those rituals and ceremonies and things that came later through Moses to the nation of Israel. He didn't do any of those. In fact, he was a pagan. So he didn't have a reverential fear of God. 
He didn't wash his hands just so. He didn't enter into the temple to worship God. He didn't obey the laws. He was a pagan, unregenerate. And yet, he is the father of faith. He's called the friend of God. And he gave birth not only to the nation of Israel, but three other religions. The Jewish religion, the Christian religion, and Islam, interestingly enough, all claim Abraham as a patriarch, a father to their faith. Isn't that interesting? Some three billion people across the earth today find their lineage, declare their spiritual lineage as being of Abraham. And he started as a pagan worshiper, an idol worshiper who didn't know God. And then God gets a hold of him at 75, gives him a promise at 85. He gives birth to this promise at 100. <laughs> I'm just getting started. It gives me hope. But in the case of one who does not work with a definite result in view, but who places his trust upon the one who justifies the person who is destitute of reverential awe towards God, there is put to his account this faith, this trust, and God makes you righteous. You see, when you go to work, you have a right to expect back for what you do and have money in the bank. But with God, it isn't so. You don't expect anything back based on what you do. See, so many of us were raised religiously and in Sunday school. We were taught that if, that if we pray, that goes on our account. If we, if we go to church, that goes on our account. Right? If we treat people well, another check mark, that goes on our account. If we serve in the church, another line item on our account, deposit made. And so then, whenever we need something or we're approaching God to have fellowship with him, you know what we do? We resurrect the account. And we say, God, I've prayed. I've read my Bible. I've been good to people. I've gone to church. I want my reward. I want my pay. I want my remuneration. Yeah. And God says, nope. Nothing I do for you. Nothing about my presence. Nothing about my embrace is based on you deserving it. In fact, just to make the point, I'm going to find somebody who doesn't even know me. He's an idol worshiper. He's a pagan. He doesn't do anything right in terms of his works to please me. He doesn't have any of this going for him. But he's going to learn to just put his trust in the God who justifies on the basis of his love and his faith. Not my faith, his faith. God believed in Abraham. Abraham didn't believe in God. God believed in Abraham first. 
Then Abraham, being drawn by God's love, being drawn by the fact that God said, you know what, Abraham, I'm going to make you righteous. If you will trust me and just follow me, you just believe my promise, you're going to have a child, a son in your old age, and you will become the father of multitudes. Three billion? I would call three billion a multitude. How about you? I mean, do the math. From idol worshiper, pagan, doesn't know God, doesn't love God, probably was living a life quite contrary to anything holy or righteous or pleasing to God, to father of multitude that some three billion people today look back to his loins as having come out of spiritually, and he's called the friend of God and the father of faith, and he did nothing to deserve it. He just believed what God said would happen. Thank you, Lord. When Nina got up here and prophesied that, it was like, okay, God. What do I do now? I don't have anything to do. You just you just preached my message. You just told everybody before I had a chance to get up here and show off. Verse 7. Verse 6, even as David also speaks of the spiritual prosperity of the man to whose account God puts righteousness apart from works. Spiritually prosperous are those whose lawlessness were put away and whose sins were covered. Spiritually prosperous is the man whose account the Lord does not cause in any case to put sin. God does not in any case look at your life and put to your account sin. God does not in any case look at your account and see a deficit and then say, well, you need to pray more, Monty. You need to come to church more, Catherine. You know, you... He doesn't do that. He doesn't in any case put to our account sin. Verse 9, therefore, does this spiritual prosperity come upon the circumcised one or the uncircumcised one? For we say there was put to Abraham's account his faith resulting in righteousness. How then was it put to his account? At the time when he was circumcised or at the time when he was uncircumcised? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the attesting sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteous character of the faith which he had in his uncircumcision, resulting in his being the father of all who believe while in the state of uncircumcision, in order that there may be put to their account 
righteousness. That might sound a little confusing, but it's real simple. Paul's arguing with the Jewish mind, and he's saying, Did, was Abraham made righteous before his circumcision or after his circumcision? Because see, circumcision is a big deal to the Hebrew people. It's a, it's a big deal to, as part of the Jewish law. You have to be circumcised as part of the steps of obedience in embracing God for God to be pleased with you. And here, God makes Abraham righteous before he's been circumcised. And so the scripture says, Paul argues, look, by the time Abraham is circumcised, God's already placed to his account, accounted him to be righteous, so his circumcision just becomes an outward sign of what God's already done inwardly in changing his life and declaring him to be one with the Father, back from the death, dead, back from the dead, and to have life and fellowship with the Father because of something God did. God declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. Here, you know, it's a beautiful picture of how water baptism works. Some teach that you need to be water baptized to fully embrace the Lord or to be accepted by God or to even, you know, be saved. But see, it's the same thing. You don't get water baptized to get right with God. You, you get right by trusting God God makes you right by faith. Then you get water baptized to tell the world, I'm baptized. I've received Jesus. He's my Lord. I love him. And he is now your embrace. You see what I mean? So the water of baptism doesn't make you right. God alone makes you right by faith. And then you're water baptized as a public testimony. Abraham didn't start the whole process of circumcision until he was 99. And then he commanded everybody that was in his tribe. I mean, you know, he was a patriarch. He had sons and, you know, I mean, he had a whole camp of people that followed him. He commanded all the men to be circumcised. Whack! Imagine that. This 99-year-old man. Whack! And the Bible says he circumcised himself. Woo! I am so glad that righteousness does not depend on me circumcising myself. He didn't even have a sharp scalpel, man. What do you use, a rock? The tip of a spear? Yo! Then he comes out of his tent and says, okay, all of you men, you're going to be circumcised too if you're going to follow me and God as a sign that you've embraced my God. That's rough. Thank you, Jesus. How then was it put to his account? At the time that he was circumcised or at the time when he was uncircumcised? No, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he now is the father of circumcision to those who are not of the circumcision. But to those who walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham when he was in uncircumcision. 
For not through the law was the promise made to Abraham or to his offspring that he should be the heir of the world, but through a righteousness which pertains to faith. For assuming that those who are of the law are heirs, the aforementioned faith has been voided with the result that it is permanently invalidated. If you are going to live by self-righteousness, if you think you're going to pursue a relationship with God based on things you do that make you okay with God and make you deserving of a wage, then you invalidate faith. You just invalidate Christianity. And the aforementioned promise has been rendered inoperative with the result that it is in a state of permanent inoperation. For the law results in divine wrath. Now, watch this. Where there is not law, neither is there transgression. This is why when there's something in your life that you find unpleasing and that you want to deal with, and as a Christian, you tell yourself, well, what I need to do is read my Bible more and pray harder, and throw in some fasting, and you know, the spirit, classical spiritual disciplines, and you start digging down on those, what happens to that thing in you that you're trying to get rid of? It grows. Oh, it grows. <laughs> yeah, it grows worse. Why? Because you being so overly concerned and aware and conscious of do not, touch not, taste not, handle not, actually makes it worse for you. He says, look, the answer to that is, now where there's not law, there's no transgression. On account of this is by faith, in order that it might be by grace to the end, that the promise might be something realized by all the offspring, not by that which is of the law only, but that which is also of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Even as it stands written, a father of many nations, I have established you permanently before him who believed, before God who makes alive, watch this, who makes alive those who are dead and calls the things that are not into existence as being in existence. I'll read it again. Before God who makes alive those who are dead and calls the things that are not in existence as being in existence. That's exactly what you brought to us this morning, dear. Calling those things that are not in existence as though they are in existence. Here's the mirror translation of that. When God changed Abraham's name to, or excuse me, when God changed Abram's name to Abraham, he made a public statement that he would be the father of all nations. Here we see Abraham faced with God's faith, the kind of faith that resurrects the dead and calls things which are not visible as though they were. Francois Dutois, who wrote the Mere Translation, comments, and I quote, Abraham's identity, his name, was the echo of God's faith and his bold confession in the absence of Isaac. When God changed Abram's name to Abraham, 
Isaac hadn't been born yet. He was still just a promise out there. When God changed, changed Sarai's name to Sarah, Isaac hadn't been born yet. He was still just a promise that they were trusting God would fulfill. Now, here's a key for you. The key to receiving everything in our relationship with God is simply believing the promise, not based on our good works or worthiness, but based on his faith and his love for us. But our part is to change the way we speak about our identity so that the promise will become a seed inside of us and give birth to the thing that you desire. God changed Sarai's name to mother of multitudes and Abram's name to father of nations or multitudes. Every time Sarai or Sarah now called Abraham for dinner, she was reinforcing the seed of God that God had planted in him and that he was believing by faith would come to pass one day. Isaac, right? Isaac. Every time they spoke their names in conversation, they were reinforcing the identity of who they were in God. Not who they weren't, but who, this is what the prophet spoke this morning. We have to change, we have to receive change, but we have to be a part of the change. How? By changing the way we talk about our identity. You've got to start saying, I am, instead of, I wish I was. You've got to speak the right I am about yourself. You've got to speak the I am, not of your pagan background, but the I am of who he's made you to be, which is the righteousness of God in Christ. I deserve abundance. I deserve love. I deserve a good life. I deserve healing and health. Why? Because he has made me righteous, not of my doing, but of his. Thank you, Lord. And every time I speak, I am worthy. I am healed. I am passionate. I am in love with Jesus. I'm reinforcing my new identity of who he has been speaking I was before the foundation of the earth. I made a note and I'll, I'll stop with this. To read you verse 17 that I just read from the Aramaic translation of the Bible. Watch this. Just as it is recorded, I set you as the father to an abundance of Gentile peoples. The particular God that you believe, he that gives life to the dead, he called those that never existed since before they existed. Yes. Wow. Wow. 
I've never seen that before. I've taught that passage for years and years and years about the value of calling those things that are not as though they are. That faith is calling those things that are not as though they are. And I missed the reason it's in the Bible in the first place. God, before Abraham was ever born, chose him to be part of this loving triangle of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And based on nothing in Abraham that was worthy, God called him and picked him out and said, I will give you a son in your old age. And Abraham trusted and he believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And he became not only the father of faith, but the father of multitudes. How? Just based on a promise that God originated and Adam simply said what little Mary said, be it unto me according to your word. Remember when the angel came to the Virgin Mary and said, you're, you're going to have a son. She said, how am I going to do that? I'm not, I, I'm only engaged. I, I, you know, we haven't had relations, me and Joseph, and we don't plan to, you know, we're going to work this thing out and then eventually be made. And he said, that thing that's going to come on you is going to be by the Holy Spirit. It's going to overshadow you. And you're going to become pregnant uh, supernaturally. Mm. And she said, (laughs) must have been like Abraham. Why? Why me? And as you sit there right now, you can do the same thing. Everybody practice. (laughs) Why me? And here's the beautiful part. It doesn't make any sense. Because you know you're rotten. You know know you're ugly. You, You know you don't serve the Lord. You know you don't read your Bible enough. You know you don't treat people nice when you're in the store. You know you have bad days. You know you cut that person off on the highway this week. You know. You know. And it's like, why? And God just says, because I love you. Because I love you. Because I love you. I love you. Not because of what you do, but because I choose. I choose to love you. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to give you a promise. I'm going to use you during your life here on earth to tell other people that they too have all been reconciled to me. You have all been included in this great work that Jesus did when he died on that cross. Now, here's how you come into the daily reality of it. Change your name. Change the way you speak. It's not just volume, it's bass. Change the way you speak about yourself. Change your name. He did. As you read in the book of Revelation, what's one of the things that stands out? He's given you a new name, and he's written it down in a book. (laughs) Quit looking at the I am of your pagan days and start declaring who you are of your now who God has made you to be in Christ. 
He has been calling you into existence from before you were a twinkle in your mother's eye. Before the foundation of the earth, God spoke into eternity and called you into being and said, Eric, you're mine. I love you. And I'm going to change your identity. And I'm going to make you incredible. You're going to do powerful things for me. I'm going to give you an ability and gifts and talents like nobody else. I'm going to put a deposit in you that will stir and that will cause you to be a great man, a great husband. You'll earn uh, not only sufficient for your own household, but to be a blessing to other people. I put that in you, God says. And before the foundation of the earth, he's been calling you. He's been changing your identity. And he did all of that in Jesus Christ. We are who we are in Jesus Christ. And now he says, Eric, I want you to do something. I want you to simply tell other people that you meet that I've done the same thing already for them in Jesus. They're all reconciled. I've changed their name. I've changed their identity. Stop talking about who you were back in your days of idol. Start declaring who you are now in the Son. That's the story of Abraham. I told you last week, Israel became the womb for the incarnation of Jesus. Abraham became the womb for the incarnation of the believer. Every one of you, stop. Listen to me. Every one of you, stop it. Stop it. Stop your struggling. Stop your wrestling. Stop your fighting. Stop your questioning. Stop your sweating to try to be somebody or to be liked or to be accepted or to be received by God. Stop it. You already are. You already are. You're already in him. You are already his. Now begin to declare your new identity. Thank you, Trevor, for your obedience this morning in worship. Those songs were so totally of him. Thank you, Marissa, for coming and helping us with our preliminaries, but making it just part of our worship and prophesying that, that sweet presence like you did. Thank you, Nina, for being obedient to the Lord and bringing forth. Thank you, Lila, for the prophetic poem that you continue to bring to this congregation. All of that just came out of the heart of God this morning, saying, I love you. <laughs> I love you. Have a good time this morning. Have a wonderful time. Enjoy yourselves. That's what church ought to be every Sunday. Let's stand.